Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Baptist Church's podcast. For more information about the church, please visit our website at www.emmanuelmanning.com. Thanks and enjoy the sermon. And for those of you who remain, if you'll open your Bible to John 12. In the announcement about the uh, Clarendon County Cancer Overcomers, we said that the sign-up uh, deadline was April 15th, which is tomorrow, which is a terrible day for many reasons. I'm kidding. Taxes are due. Uh, but Miss Pat said that since you're special, uh, you, should, you can turn uh, a T-shirt request in if you're a cancer overcomer for the next week, and you can uh, sign up for the next week. It's fine. Well, let's look uh, together this morning at John 12. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 36. John 12. I figure since John wrote Revelation, we're not going too far afield today. Follow along as I read. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said... Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He had said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge uh, of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, uh, the large crowd had come to see the feast, that had come to see the feast, uh, that Jesus heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And they found a young donkey and sat on it. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see they are gaining nothing. Look, um, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. 
Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from, came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. <coughs> Let me give you a history lesson. Antiochus Epiphanes was a Greek king uh, who way back uh, attacked and destroyed Jerusalem and put many of its inhabitants to death, mostly in cruel ways. He ordered soldiers to enter the Jewish temple and slaughter a pig. That was considered very unclean by the Jews. And he sacrificed that pig on the altar of the Lord. They set the pig ablaze and then tried to make some Jewish men eat some of the meat. The men refused and he cut out their tongues, scalped them, cut off their hands and feet and burned them on the altar of the Lord. After this, the Jews began a war of independence under some leaders called the Maccabees. They defeated the armies that Antiochus had sent against them. When under the might of these Maccabees, the, Jerusalem was freed from the pollutions of Antiochus Epiphanes. The people entered in with palm branches and psalms of praise. The Jewish accounts are in the book of Maccabees, and the holiday of Hanukkah commemorates this successful revolt. So when the people had been delivered from a pagan ruler who had defiled their religious system, they took palm fronds, this symbol of victory, and they quoted Psalm 118, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save us. It's impossible that something like that wasn't on the minds of the people as we read John 12 and think about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. Uh, the people, again, were in a difficult situation because they were again under uh, pagan rule. The Romans basically ruled the whole world. And while they had made some compromises with uh, the Jewish folks by and large, they were a people who were ruled. And not only that, 
but the, the temple system, as much as it was venerated, was in some people's minds defiled because the high priest during this time was one of the Sadducees. And the Sadducees uh, were sort of like um, theological liberals. They just compromised uh, with Rome, compromised with everybody. They didn't believe in the resurrection, uh, and they were the high priest and kind of the ruling class. People who didn't believe fundamental truths and thought they were smarter than everybody else, those folks are always with us. Um, and so the people were thinking again, we're under rule and the temple system is not as it should be. That's why there was such a thing as the Pharisees. As bad as they look in the Gospels, they were trying to follow the law uh, and trying to live pure lives. Now, it got all legalistic and cattywampus and bad, but they were regarded as the guys who were really holy in the land. But they weren't able to do anything. And then along comes this man named Jesus. And Jesus had just, as you can see by the fact that it was hinted at a couple of times in our text, just raised a man from the dead. And Jesus had done a lot of miracles. And so they began to put their hope in him and follow him. Such a, a large number of people began to follow him after the Lazarus event that you could tell uh, the Pharisees and the rulers were like, we, we not only need to kill Jesus, we need to kill Lazarus. We need to stamp this thing out. They're leaving what we believe and they're going after him. But why were these people going after him? They weren't going after him because they understood him. They, they were going after him because they were doing what we often do. And that is, we take the power of agendas. They said, this guy, if he can raise the dead, he can probably take out some Romans. And he can probably clear out some problems. And he could probably, again free us from our enemies and make us no longer the equivalent of slaves under Roman rule. And the reason I chose this text, and this is the text, I mean, I've been here 10 years. I've probably preached on this text on Palm Sunday at least three times. And the reason that I do that is because uh, bad thinking and bad theology collects on us like barnacles, Right? Yesterday, I cleaned my wife's van, and this is on me, it's not on her, because cleaning the cars was my responsibility. I cleaned my wife's car probably for the first time in like three years. Don't judge. I once bought a car and paid it off and never washed it. So I've been worse. Uh, but things collect. Bugs collect. Dust collects. Coffee stains collect. That's what happens. Over time... Things don't get better looking, they get worse looking, as proven by the cinnamon and sugar that is progressively going on up here. In the same way, in our souls, uh, every now and then, we just need uh, a clean off. We, we need to scrape off the barnacles. And inevitably, when we have bad thinking about the gospel, it is because we have, again, kind of fallen back into the habit of using Jesus for our own agendas. That's what these people had done. They, they had their deepest hopes, and they thought Jesus can come and 
work to make things better for me and my deepest hopes. Now, in one sense, is that true? Yeah, they just didn't know, they, they just didn't know their deepest hopes. Uh, and so this morning, I want to look at these folks who were following Jesus and who were uh, throwing down the palm branches and who were saying, save us, and who were asking questions and who were coming to him in droves. Uh, and I want to point out a couple of things about them. I want to show you that they had a wrong understanding of the enemy. They had a wrong understanding of the scope of salvation. And they had a wrong understanding of the nature of Jesus' kingdom. They wanted a king. Jesus was a king. And this is important to do uh, because the elders and I, every now and then, have to just take a look at the culture of our church and make sure that the right understanding of Jesus is reflected in our ministries. And it isn't always, is it? Because it's not always reflected in our hearts. So as we look at this text this morning, let's remember one of our general rules of reading the Bible, and it's this. We're generally part of the bad guys and not part of the good guys. Amen? How many of you in your quiet time always make yourself one of the good guys? But generally speaking, we're probably one of the what? Y'all didn't say that loud enough. Y'all never confess your sin as loudly as me. I do it into a microphone. We're always one of the what? That's right. But Jesus is making us good. Well, let's look first of all at the fact that they had a wrong understanding of the enemy. We know this from the context. People were coming to Jesus in droves uh, because they saw in him a way to get their desires met. They were in a bad place. They were under oppression. And they were trying so hard to get out from underneath it. The people of Israel assumed that they were still under oppression because of their sin. And that's why you had all these groups starting up like the Pharisees. They said, well, we just need to keep the law. That's why we're under persecution. The Sadducees said, we need to just mix in and compromise with the Romans, and then we'll live in peace. And then you had a group called the Qumran community who said, we just need to separate it from us all and go out and live in the desert. Which group would you be a part of? I'm thinking, I'd be, I don't know, I'd be a Pharisee or a desert dweller. And then Jesus comes along and is trying to say that he hadn't necessarily come to free them from the enemy that they thought they had. Jesus had come to set them free from the deepest enemy, from the thing that really, really had them under its thumb. He had given clues about this throughout his ministry. That the biggest problem was not outside of them. The biggest problem was where? He said this in Matthew 7, What comes out of you is what defiles you. For from within, out of your hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside you and defile you. Jesus knew that the biggest enemy they had was not the Romans. The biggest enemy that they had was God. Because of their sin. 
because of themselves. Yes, themselves. But because of their sin, God. And so sin, which led to slavery of the devil, sin which led to their own misery, and sin which led to the wrath of God, sin was the problem. And it wasn't sin outside of them. It wasn't Roman sin. They suffered under it. Roman sin was terrible. And as we get into Revelation 14 and 15, we'll see the Lord had a plan for Rome. But the biggest problem we always have is who? It's always us. It's always us. You can probably say, no, the biggest problem in my life is what happened to me. This happened to me, and bad stuff happens to us. Amen? But I promise you, there's somebody in this world who had the same thing happen to them, and they responded to it better than you did. Can I get an oh me? Because what you're saying is, I'm excused from the way I am because of what happened to me. But the worst evil that ever happened on this earth was the evil that happened to Jesus, and he responded in love. Yes, Terrible things may have happened to you. Awful things that haunt your nightmares. And they leave a mark. And we live our lives overcoming them, yes. But even still, our biggest problem is us. Because basically what you're saying is, if the same thing that happened to me happened to Jesus, he would respond to this way, and we just know he didn't. Amen? You're your biggest problem. The human heart doesn't need to be freed without really being freed. If Jesus had removed the Romans, then the, 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 the Israelites of that day would have found a way to hurt themselves again because they were the issue, right? And so when Jesus came, Jesus came to deal with the real enemy. The sin that stood against them, the sin that was within them the deepest problem is sin the sin in me the sin in the world the suffering other people sin causes them and me and the suffering i cause other people through my sin sin is the problem sin in me now the reason i say this is because as a pastor i'm powerless in a lot of ways and one of the ways in which i'm powerless is to actually get you to listen and to pay attention and to think through what i'm saying but this morning, I would, I would want you to think about this. Scan your thoughts. Scan the last week. Scan your life and the way you think and answer this question. If I were to look back over my thoughts, then what would I say I think my deepest problem is? And if it's anything other than sin, then you're not where you need to be. And when we make other things the deepest problem, we come up with other solutions that only make things worse. This is what, <clears throat> you know, I have OCD. I'm overcoming OCD, right? Um, and, and that's the thought here. If I can make my situation perfect, then maybe it'll calm down what's going on inside. But that means I know what the real problem is, that my conscience is condemning me. I know so many people who try to make everything perfect for them and for their family as if if I can just make the situation perfect, it'll be okay. 
But the biggest problem for me and the biggest problem for my kids is not the situation that they're in. It's the situation that's in them. I work really hard to teach my children. I work really hard to make sure my children hear the right thing because I work really hard so they have a good environment. I work really hard so growing up in my house doesn't stink. But the biggest problem for my kids is something I can never touch. And the biggest issue they have to deal with is inside of them, not outside of them. But when I think it's outside, i got to make everything perfect. Is our biggest problem a lack of beauty or a lack of fashion? Is our biggest problem a lack of health? No. Jesus came to deal with the real problem. And until you're looking at the real problem, you're going to take Jesus and hitch him to your own agenda. They also had a wrong understanding of the scope of what Jesus came to do. What's their cry? Their cry is, Hosanna, which is, save us. Right? Save us. They had a wrong understanding of what Jesus had come to do. And so they were saying, Lord, save us. Their hope was that Jesus could free them from their oppressors and make their life better. <clears throat> and I know I pick on Joel Osteen a lot, but the man's just such an easy target. And I, I don't, I mean, I don't mind saying this. The biggest problem is, is he occasionally says true things. <laughs> he says things I can say amen to, and then he says a thousand things that I go, oh, Lord. But our society goes to stuff like that in droves. Or in Africa, Christianity, in a sense, is growing, but it's an Americanized prosperity Christianity. Where at the end, we really think that Jesus came to make us happy according to our definition of what makes us happy. And we think the scope of salvation is me, my family, and my friends getting saved and living decent lives. But Jesus knew that the scope of salvation went so much further. That being saved from sin meant that you were saved from selfishness so that now you find your happiness in seeking the good of others rather than being content with just having all good yourself. Here's my question. When you stand before God... And you're looking at him in judgment, and all of us will do it, right? You know that from the Bible. Romans 2, good place to start. Matthew 7, another good place where Jesus separates the sheep and the goats. Does he separate them on this basis? All right, did I make you happy? Is that what he does? What does he ask? He asks this, did you do it unto the least of them? Jesus knew that the scope of salvation went outside of us. So Jesus is praying. These people are praying, Lord, save us. All of their hope was, Lord, give us freedom. And the reason we know this is because as soon as Jesus uh, was taken into captivity by the Romans, what happened to all these people, including his disciples? They gone. Right? Well, this is not. Oh, well, it was it was nice while it lasted. Woo. Right? 
Jesus knew that he had come not just to save them. He had come to save the world from sin. And what his people would be would be the kind of people who then cared about the salvation of others. And that's where they found their joy. We see this because in a few places here, everything turns on the Gentiles. The Jews are sitting here saying, Lord, save us from oppression. And Jesus is thinking about Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? I mean, if you look at verse 20, it says, Now there were some uh, who went up to worship, and they were Greeks. They came to Philip, and they came to Andrew, and they said, Hey, we would love to see Jesus. Philip and Andrew went and told Jesus. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus wasn't concerned about the salvation that they wanted. His scope of salvation was much bigger. Which is why in every one of the Gospels that this is talked about, with the exception of John, Jesus then goes in and cleanses the temple because the people of Israel had kind of shut off that outer court of the Gentiles and made a market in it instead of a place where the Gentiles could come in and pray. And so they wanted Jesus to free them, and Jesus came in and freed up a space for Gentiles to worship. What this is saying is is that when you really understand the scope of the salvation that Jesus offers, amazingly, your heart begins to go out to other people, and especially people who are really jacked up. And this world is really jacked up, isn't it? There are people who, listen to me, don't even know what they are because they don't have the Lord. They don't know how to think. They don't know what to be attracted to. They don't know. And Jesus talks here about walking in darkness. And his people who were saying, come save us and make our life Jesus, make our life better. Jesus was thinking, you're the ones who should be a light to this world, making everybody else's life better. Unfortunately, like I said, I'm the bad guy. It seems like the Pharisees and the people who kind of ran the culture had OCD. And here's why this was an issue, because the Gentiles ate gross food. And they ate it grossly, and they were dirty, and they were perverted, and they were broken. They were lost. And the scope of the salvation that Jesus came to bring didn't terminate on the happiness of a few select people. It was to be light of the world. I had a professor. His name was Cliff Bedell. He was my favorite professor in uh, college. And he would say one of the... And the thing about Mr. Bedell is anytime you asked him a question, he answered it like he had been thinking about that question since he was a kid. Like everyone. This dude was a wellspring. All right. Uh, He taught me Romans. He changed my life in many ways. And for a little while, he was my neighbor. Um, And Mr. Bedell said this one time. He said, God worked really hard in Jesus to make you sure of your salvation. This is what Romans 4 says. 
that salvation is by grace so that those who believe may be certain of their salvation. You know what Mr. Bedell said? He said, do you know why God wants you to be certain of your salvation? So you can worry about somebody else's. How little we do that, right? When we hear about people who are completely broken, and this is not my impulse. I've been here 10 years. You know this. This is not my impulse either. Uh, I should probably be down there preaching this sermon today. When I hear about brokenness, my, my thought is to step away and to pull away those I love. But if we have the only answer, what should our gut reaction be to real brokenness? Step toward it. We pull back and judge. Those people are idiots. Of course they're idiots. You were. They don't know the thing that holds the whole universe together. And it's not my particular political persuasion. It is Jesus. Do you want to know why the church flourished among the Greeks when it didn't flourish among the Jews? Because the Greeks, who were really lost and pagan, were looking for something that held it all together. And the Jews thought that they were the thing that held it all together. I've got a few minutes. Um. There was an argument in ancient philosophy about what the fundamental thing in the world was. And they argued over these four essences, earth, air, water. One guy believed in something called the boundless. And there was these four essences, and they thought one of these things is what's under everything and holds it all together. And as they argued, they said, well, we haven't found it yet. There must be this fifth essence, this quintessence. You ever heard that word quintessential? This fifth essence that really is the thing that holds it all together. And they came up with a name for it. The name for it was the word logos. And so in John 1, when John writes his gospel, he starts out by saying, in arche, hein halagos. In the beginning was the word. In other words, John speaks right into this culture where they're looking for something. And he says, what you're looking for is Jesus. And we like to step into that culture and say, what you're looking for is something connected to me. They had a wrong understanding of the scope of salvation. Finally, they had a wrong understanding of the nature of the kingdom. Just a few days before this, Pilate had come to town. They built, and this really, really frustrated the Jewish people of the day, in the, near the, the temple court, they built like a big two-story thing where you could house Roman troops near the temple. Imagine how that really frustrated them. And whenever a big Jewish celebration was going to come into town, uh, inevitably a, a Roman uh, like legion or a Roman, whatever the word I'm looking for, a, a group of Roman soldiers would come in and Pilate, the governor, who usually lived somewhere else, would come down. Because inevitably, whenever one of these Jewish festivals happened, Riot and rebellion fomented among them. And so Pilate had come into town, and he came in through the other side of town with a bunch of uh, army dudes riding on a white horse. And that was his way of saying, 
if you want to get along in the world, you got to get on board with Rome, and Rome does things through power. A little later, Jesus comes in, riding not on a white horse with an army beside him, carrying weapons. Jesus rides in on a donkey, talking about his own death, with the people around him just singing praises. Now you see this again in Revelation 14, because we'll see as we look at Revelation 14 in a couple of weeks, and don't worry moms, I'm not going to preach on uh, Revelation I think the way it'd work out right now is I'd be preaching about the great harlot on Mother's Day, so we'll not do that. Uh, We'll skip that and come up with a Mother's Day lesson, just for you. But we'll see in Romans 14 next week uh, that Jesus is standing with his crack soldiers, his protected army, and they're not standing there with weapons. They're singing a song that nobody else can sing. And so these people think that what Jesus needs to be is more like Pilate, who came in earlier, But Jesus knows his kingdom has a different nature. He entered through a smaller gate. He was on a donkey. And he knew that the kingdom advances. Listen to me. The kingdom advances. And Lord, I just look to you to help us all to understand this. The kingdom advances as we die and as we sing. It doesn't advance as we roll over people. It doesn't advance as we make sure our agenda is known. The kingdom advances as we die and as we sing. And none of these people were willing to do that yet. And so many of us aren't. The kingdom advances as we die in love to our enemies And the kingdom advances as we sing songs about the Lord and his salvation. We need to die to our aspirations. We need to die to our fears and prejudices. We need to die to our gut level reactions. We need to die to all the things that we think are more important. And they're certainly not unimportant or unhelpful. It's just the gospel of Jesus that should be the defining thing about our agenda as a church. So for all of you out there this morning who do not know Jesus and you feel lost, there's a reason for that because you're not connected to the one thing that holds it all together. But he's not what you think he is. Jesus is not like the average Christian, praise God. Jesus laid down his life for your sins and he took up a human life to earn your salvation and the scripture says that he died and I hear the Bible pages flapping and I want them to stop because I'm talking to lost people right now we're not wrapping this up amen because if we start closing our Bibles when the gospel begins what is everybody else going to do Jesus died so that you might be free. He died so that you could know what you were made for, which is to know God. Jesus says this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus whom he has sent. Do you know him? Because that's where eternal life is found. He came and died so that you might be saved. You should come to him this morning 
Lay aside everything you want to attach to him. Lay aside your own control and come to Christ. For us believers, to the degree that we bite and eat and devour one another, it comes from the fact that we think everybody else should be following our agenda. And Paul says, watch out lest you consume one another. And usually when we're eating somebody else, it's when we think we're doing them good. Rather than dying for them, we need to die for the others in this church. We need to die for those outside of us so that they might see light. We need to lay aside every agenda except for the agenda of Jesus. We need to understand the scope of salvation that he came to bring. And we need to understand that the way he intends to bring salvation is through his death and through ours. So we need to scrape off some barnacles, amen? We need to check our hearts this morning as we look to a wonderful Easter week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we don't know what we're doing very often. So we just pray that you'd help us to listen to your spirit, to look to your word, and to act in love and in faith towards you and to act in loving sacrifice towards others. We do not look to ourselves to, to get this right uh, because we're part of the problem. Lord, we look to you to save us. And so we do pray, Lord, save us so that you might use us to accomplish your plan in the world, which is to make us all happy by living for your sake and not for our own. Our Lord, help us to do this, we pray in Jesus' name.